Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's Big Time Steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Welcome to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast and our special guest for the week, uh, a familiar face to those of you who have tuned into our podcasts over the years and uh, certainly no stranger to uh, the basketball or sports world or, or the world in general because he's world renowned. And I'm talking about uh, John Grisham, author and uh, sports fan, and uh, John uh I've admired for years and love his work and uh, just uh, love the fact that he's a, a regular dude and, and loves sports like the rest of us. John, welcome. Thanks, Jerry. Always nice to be here. Always good seeing you. And uh, our co-host, Chris Graham, as uh, usual. And uh, we're going to talk to John today about ACC hoops and maybe touch drift on to a couple other topics, but mostly ACC basketball. And he's a passionate fan, just like the rest of us. And uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, uh, John, uh, this has been one of the more interesting seasons we've had in recent years with ACC hoops. We've got uh, last year the conference was considered down a lot. Uh, some people still think it's not uh, among the top leagues in, in the country. I, I might I might debate that because I think there's some really good teams in this league. But uh, – kind of up for grabs uh has been all season long yeah there's no uh there's no there's no dominant team um it's it kind of like last year um you know we were all surprised last year when uh carolina got their act together in march really and made a surprising run all the way to almost to the very end um it's, it's so different now with uh you know duke with a different coach and and Carolina with a different coach, um, and I'm not saying it's bad, but you just don't have the uh, the dominant program. You know, we didn't think UVA was going to be a, a league leader uh, six weeks ago. Uh, they had some bad games early. The offense looked completely uh, um, impotent, you know, in the early games, uh, not scoring much at all. And then suddenly, you know, Tony always finds a way to um, to uh, motivate the team and find the kids who can score especially this year we're, we're over 70 points a game this year, which for UBA is unheard of. So, yeah. And you look at the, you look around the country, um, you have three or four teams in the ACC who can make a deep run. Uh, same in the big 10. Um, the big 12 looks pretty strong. SEC looks down. Uh, Alabama got beat last night, which is no surprise because Tennessee is very good. Uh, yes. And then out West you've got UCLA and Arizona uh, at the top and not a whole lot after that. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a fun tournament because there's just no consensus number one 
uh, in the nation, which makes for a great tournament. Absolutely. Um, I know that you hold uh, sort of dual uh, ticket citizenship between Charlottesville and Chapel Hill uh, and get to see a lot of Carolina games and a lot of Virginia games. But I guess the biggest question in the ACC this year is, is what's wrong with Carolina? Do you have your own theory on that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it was kind of like last year they lost some terrible games early on this year to this season too. Um, and then last year it seemed like um, late in the season, uh, Coach Davis was able to get his guards under control because they were taking so many bad shots. And um, and he, he got them a little more disciplined and the team came together and just started winning. And um, there have been flashes of that this year, uh, but but not. I mean, they're, they're they're not a good shooting team right now. They're way down statistically. Uh, they're not hitting their threes. And again, they they take too many shots that are just low percentage shots. Uh, you can, can't call them bad shots because a lot of times they go in, but they do tend to um, to take too many bad shots. Uh, Baycott is my favorite player on the team because he's, he's such a workhorse. He's always around the basket. He's always he's smart. He's always getting the cheap rebound and put it back or the tough rebound. Uh, Leaky Black is a really strong uh, defensive player. who's fun to watch. Not always a consistent scorer. And you have the two guards, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, who are, um, you know, really unpredictable. They've been unpredictable all year, and, and I'm not sure – if they're going to be able to get their stuff together, like, like last year, they've got the talent. They've got uh, a lot of talent on the bench. Um, some of the kids aren't getting to play that much that, you know, I think maybe should play more, but I, I can't answer that. I, I don't, I, you wonder if something else is going on. You wonder um, in this day and age, not just with Carolina, but also with a lot of teams, um, you've got your big players who are making plenty of money now. And you know, driving yeah. fancy sports cars and stuff like that, and other players who are playing just as hard who are not getting that kind of compensation, and that's going to be a huge problem from now on in college sports. And um, so that's a whole different issue that's we could talk about for the next five hours. Uh, but uh, you you wonder, you know, some of these teams are they are they are they having problems in the locker room? Um, so I, I don't I don't know I, I don't know what's happening down there. I say this every time I watch them play. Um, don't sell them short uh, because they've lost 10 games already, which is mm -hmm. a lot more than they lost last year. But they are very good, very talented, um, at times very well coached. Uh, but when they lose their discipline, uh, they start losing games. But they they have the potential of a deep run into March because they have the talent. Uh, Carolina stands going into the weekend at eight and seven in the ACC, sixteen and ten overall, eleven and two at home. So um, I'm not sure what the rest of their home schedule is like, but uh, you know they, they got they got a tough schedule. They got they got they have us down there um, on February the 25th, then the following week, March the fourth, is their last game against Duke at home, and that's always um, uh, that's always a great that's my favorite game, Duke Carolina. Uh, because yes. it's just uh, it's just so intense. And what's happened in the last several years, Duke has won fairly easily at uh, the Dean Dome, and the Tar Heels would go to Cameron and beat Duke at Cameron. 
Uh, and so um, th that game is so unpredictable. Now they have um, they have us there. They have um, they go to NC State this Sunday, which is going to be a tough game because yeah. NC State's pretty good. So they got they got five games left, but uh, uh, it's not going to be easy. And uh, of course, uh, Virginia is currently tied for the top of the league at twelve and three with Pitt. And uh, Pitt owns the tiebreaker there. If if things continue to shake out in that uh, in that direction, and the Cavaliers picked up their twentieth win last night at Louisville in a not so pretty uh, performance. <laughs> we'll put it mildly. The Cavaliers are twelve and one at home, six and three on the road, and um, they will be playing Notre Dame at home here this Saturday. Virginia's uh, remaining schedule is not too bad. They do host host Clemson before the season is over, and they go to Chapel Hill. Those are the two toughest games, I believe. Uh, they got a good chance of, of hanging on, John, and and uh, maybe getting Tony's. Uh, I think Chris the uh, sixth regular season be the title. Sixth. Yeah, yeah. They they're in a great position. Uh, they're in a great position to be uh, to make a you know, to to win the conference tournament. I mean, the schedule the uh, the regular season, uh, as you know, the um, tournament is just a free for all every year, and that's what makes it fun. Uh, you don't know who's going to come out on top. And well, what what Tech did last year in the ACC tournament, it was remarkable to win f four games in four days and not just win them, but they spanked everybody. Uh, and one, you know, won the tournament, and no one, no one saw that coming. So the tournament is so unpredictable, and again, that's, that's what makes it so much fun. Uh, but yeah, I think UVA's in in a in the driver's seat. But you know, like last night, we were seventeen point favorites going into Louisville to play the worst team in the league, and uh, lucky to get out. But that's the ACC. Notre Dame comes in Saturday. They had a terrible season. Um, you know, Coach Bray's leaving after this season, and I hate to see him go because I've always liked him. He brings a lot of color to the game and a fun guy. But, you know, he's had several bad seasons in a row, so it's you got to make a change. Uh, UVA will be a, a you know, 20 point favorite. And uh, who knows what will happen? It's the ACC. Anybody can, almost anybody can win on any night uh, at home or on the road. And that's, again, that's what makes a conference so intriguing to follow is just uh, all the upsets and and uh and teams that get hot when clemson was 10 and 0 i was talking basketball with my son ty who comes to all the games too big wahoo and we were both kind of laughing we said there's no way clemson is going to survive this they're going to start losing a bunch of games and that's you can see it coming and last year nobody could see carolina coming out of nowhere uh, to win the to, to to almost win the whole tour the tournament so it's again it's a, it's a very uh unpredictable uh, season in sports. That's again, that's what's so much fun. Yeah. Clemson has dropped off to 11 and four and 19 and seven overall. I, I never was a big believer that Clemson was going to uh, win the league and they still could, but uh, I just, uh, you got to show me <laughs> before I'm going to buy into that theory. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Chris. I'm going to tap into John your 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 abilities as a, a storyteller here. The ACC this year, obviously going into the season, just like every other year, Duke, Carolina, Virginia, at least at recent years, Duke, Carolina, Virginia at the top uh, in the preseason, and then everybody else. And you look at the standings right now; it's it's Virginia, Pitt, Miami, Clemson. Um, 
maybe you know what Jerry said earlier about how the ACC is not getting the the love nationwide uh, as one of the top conferences is because we don't have those familiar faces at the top. Uh, you know, it's easy when you're writing a book that you, you you create the characters, you maybe build on characters. Right now, people don't know who these characters are at the top of the ACC. How can we fix that? I'm not sure you need to fix it. I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think it's great the way it is. We you we, you have different teams every year when you have uh, more parity. I think uh, um, so. I, I I don't see a problem. I don't see anything needs fixing. Of course, I want UVA to always be at the top <laughs> now in the first weekend in April, the Final Four. But um, uh, again, that's uh, you know, at one point this year, Kansas lost three in a row. Uh, TCU beat them by 25 points one day. Uh, you, you know, you, you can't predict how these teams are going to do. There's just too many games, and nobody's going to be very, very dominant uh, every year. I always get tired of Gonzaga being 28 and 0, you know, going, going into their conference tournament because they don't play anybody. And they do okay in March, but they're always overrated. They've had some losses this year, and I don't, I don't think they're there what they were last year, but, um, I think the days of your perennial champions or number one teams are are, are gone. Uh, somebody may build that program, uh, but there's just too much parity. And nowadays with the transfer rules, you don't know who's going to be on your team from one year to the next. You don't know who's going to come in and play one and done and leave. Or uh, There's just so many – the game is so much more unpredictable now than uh, off the court, than on the court. There's just so many things happening that are just – we still have trouble stomaching the fact that some of these kids are making, you know, several million bucks a year to play basketball for one year and then turn pro. And that's, you know, that's happening right now. Uh, or to to postpone the NBA for a year or two because they can make a bunch of money playing college basketball. Um, it's unsettling you know, for, I guess, old time fans like me to think about these kids, you know, when money gets involved in, with a bunch of kids, you're going to have a lot of problems. And I think we're probably going to, we're seeing the first wave of that now uh, in college sports. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think when the NIL came out, uh, we had a show about that with Dave Glenn from the, used to be with the ACC sports journal and, I, I told him I thought it was going to wreck college sports, and I, I, I'm still sticking by the, my theory. But uh, I, and I don't begrudge kids making some money, but I, I just think it's out of control. And uh, I guess Jimbo Fisher was the first guy, and, and not saying that he's not uh, guilty of some nil uh, abuse, but uh, he's the first guy that came out and said, "Well, it's." We used to have this in the SEC a long time ago. We just called it cheating. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, to me, it looks like it's, it's it's wrecking college athletics as we know it. But, well, the, the big fear among colleges, among ADs, at places like UVA and UNC, and I, I know both those ADs pretty well, um, is they have 28 sports. And so, and there's only so much money that you can raise from your donors. So the fear is that donors are going to give money to a collective uh, that can go out and buy, buy your point guard, buy a, a quarterback, buy, you know, buy the great players. 
and not give as much to the uh, the athletic department. Every athletic department is strapped from, well, not, I can't say every, but most of them are strapped for money anyway uh, because they have way too many sports. And um, it, it could be a real problem for some of your uh, lesser you know, Olympic sports uh, to see some pretty drastic budget cuts because the money's not there, because the money is flowing into the collectives to, to go buy the, go, go purchase the all-stars. And that's one big fear. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that to be afraid of in, in college sports right now. I mean, every coach fears that his star player is going to get purchased by, you know, another school for next year. Um, after the um, football season was over, you know, Drake May, the quarterback at Carolina, uh, allegedly was approached by two Big Ten schools, offering him a lot of money to come play one more year because they both need quarterbacks next year. Uh, that has been denied, but uh, artfully so. And I think the truth is somewhere in between, but he was recruited to go to leave Carolina after one year and go play another big school. And that's a coach. I mean, can you, can you imagine the, your coach when you, you're the coach, you've got these kids that you've recruited and, and raised and trained and all this kind of stuff and brought to a point where they're probably pro prospects and uh, some other school comes in and buys them out for money for a year or two. Uh, that's a huge fear in college sports. So there's a lot of, as you know, a lot of great uncertainty Um in the game right now, and no, and no, no one really knows where it's going. Jerry, there's a lawsuit that's uh, percolating somewhere through the courts. Um, that that obviously has been filed several months back, but it, it it seeks to get a piece of the pie for of of the total Division One revenue for every Division One athlete. So every every kid who's on who's running track or fencing or rowing or whatever would get a piece of the SEC football money. And so now the lawsuit is still alive. And after the NCAA's lost, you know, so many lawsuits in the past few years to, to open this up, to open up NIL, um, the lawyers are terrified that this, this lawsuit could go forward to give, again, every Division I athlete a piece of the Division I pie. And uh, that could really no, – no one can conceive what that would do to, to, the, to the athletic budgets at these colleges. No one knows what can happen because you don't know how the courts are going to rule. Um, when, when the court – in the Austin case, when the court first ruled that you cannot restrict these kids from making money, um, the initial thinking was, okay, we'll get, we'll get T-shirts and merchandise and video games and we'll sell all that and have a pool of money for our football team and we'll – Divide that up and everybody gets a piece of that. And and the court said, no, you cannot restrict what one individual kid might be able to make. So there went that idea. Uh, no one really saw NIL right off the bat being as big as it is now. Now it's just a wholesale uh, buying and selling of athletes, offering high school kids, you know, these huge contracts to come play. And uh, no one really saw that coming, but it's here and it's not going to go away anytime soon because the courts have ruled. You can't restrict these kids um, from making money. There's certain restrictions. You can't, a kid, a player cannot um, take money from a company that, you know, a, ga a gambling company or a beverage uh, uh, alcoholic company or cannabis or 
adult industry. So there's certain restrictions and you can't promise a kid money for performance, you know, X number of dollars for a touchdown pass or whatever you can. There's certain, <laughs> my favorite restriction is a college cannot promise a kid money. College can't. Okay. So they go through, he has an agent who gets the promise. That's, you know, that, that rule is violated every day. Uh, <laughs> most of the rules are pretty, pretty weak efforts to re regulate the money, but it's, it's all, it's all in play and it's all, uh, changing daily so 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 john i mean are you optimistic i'm not optimistic are you guys optimistic well i'm i'm here, here's what i'm optimistic about i'm as as a big fan of your writing over the years i've got so many of your books that i've got like a, a library in, in the next room um i hear a lot here there's there's lawsuits there's money there's shadiness involved um and and a lot of this happens in the southeast um could this be something that ends up being a, a john grisham novel at some point in the future yeah, I mean everything is fair game. Um, I, I never, I never thought I would write a book about basketball. I, I wanted to. I wanted to. I've written two football books and a baseball book, and I wanted to write a, a book about college basketball because I love the sport. And um, I kept waiting for the for the inspiration for the story. I, I can't just I can't just sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write a story about this and, and make it happen. I've got to be inspired by something that really did happen. Um, and I, and I could take a real event or a real, a real fact pattern and, and, you know, do a lot of things with it once I, once I've got the basic idea. Uh, and I waited for years to, uh, to have a story for, uh, for basketball. And right when March Madness was canceled three years ago, uh, you know, we were in the middle of the ACC tournament. So it was, it was early March, 2000. And, uh, I was with a couple of my buddies here in town and we were, uh, we're in a bar downtown having a beer. We had our brackets out, you know, because when you first get your brackets, you're the smartest guy in the room. Okay. Everybody, we're all, we're all brilliant. <laughs> and we're picking our, we're picking our, and, and all of a sudden on the, on the big sports screen, the sports bar screen, it said March Madness canceled. And we were stunned. How, how do you cancel March Madness? We live for it all year. And I thought, oh, this is so, so awful. And, um, and so I was inspired. It inspired me to to go and finish the basketball to start and finish the basketball novel. Uh, I don't know why. I just thought I needed a basketball fix, and the story came together quickly. And the, the book came out a year later. And so I, you know, long long winded answer to your question. I, I I can see a lot of drama here, a lot of money, a lot of drama, a lot of corruption, a lot of intrigue, a lot of lawyers, lawsuits, a lot of uh, really juicy things here. Hopefully, no dead bodies yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we know of, <laughs> but I, I always need a couple of dead bodies, but not always. Uh, so yeah, I can, I, yeah, I can probably find a novel here one of these days. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. I'm I'm also intrigued by the so the sign behind you for those who who might be looking in here when we run this later. Um, Reggie Love Attorney. So I'm, I'm admitted just I'm a big fan. 
Um, in, in your head, though, if 30 years of, of, of your work or more of your work, I'm looking at Reggie Love attorney, and I'm thinking, there's going to be an ACC tie there. There was a Duke player named Reggie Love, but, of course, your Reggie Love predates yeah. the Duke Reggie Love by a few years. But it is just an interesting little coincidence considering we're talking about uh, ACC yeah. basketball today. Yeah, my Reggie Love, the book came out, the client came out in 93, uh, and Reggie Love was uh, a small-time small, a small time lawyer in the city of Memphis, and she was hired by the kid who later became the star. And um, they were filming the movie in Memphis, and uh, a couple of years later, this is about 1995, I guess, 94, and we went to the set one day in Memphis to uh, to meet the cast, which the cast, we, we normally went to, we go to we take the kids to the set one day and meet everybody and hang out and visit and and that was cool and we'd go back home and never see them again until uh, the movie came out. Uh, but we were with Susan uh, Sarandon and she was very nice and sweet. And my kids were talking to her and I kept looking at the door to her law office and um, by then uh, my wife Renee had already collected a couple of pieces uh, from pieces of furniture from the firm, the, the movie set of the firm. So Renee was already thinking ahead. And so she pulled some strings and got that door uh, at, a, at an auction. Uh, when the movie, when the movie's over, they often, oftentimes they'll hold a big auction and sell off a bunch of the, you know, uh, set materials and furniture and art and all that kind of stuff for, for charities. And so Renee bought the uh, Reggie Love door that I've had since 1995 and it's here in my office in downtown Charlottesville, where I am right now. So it's it's kind of fun. Th those are back in the good old days when we used to make movies. We we don't we can't get movies made anymore, and we try. We're trying like crazy, and uh, it's just a different world in Hollywood now. Used to it was easy, now it's very difficult. Apparently, if if you wrote comic books, uh, you you'd be in a better position, oh, right? Gosh. Wow. <laughs> You know, that's, that world is so foreign to me. Yeah. I didn't even read comic books when I was a kid, so I, I don't know what these Marvel characters are, but they're very profitable these days. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever uh, foresaw having any of your books turned into movies again. I, I know at one time you got kind of frustrated with the process, but uh, uh, do you think that'll ever happen again? Or is yeah, it Jerry, I'm beyond frustrated. <laughs> I'm beyond frustration. I've stopped worrying about it. Uh, we tried yeah. We tried for years. But at any given time, there are probably half a dozen of uh, the books uh, under contract to make movies. And they'll, they'll do an option deal for 18 months or 24 months, and the option expires, and the rights come back to me, and we try again. They're, they're all out there. They're all for sale. Uh, and somebody will call today and inquire about one of them, and they talk to somebody. They don't talk to me. They talk to somebody else. The, the most promising one is a sports movie. Um, uh, George Clooney has written a screenplay for Calico Joe, and uh, I've read it. It's, it's very good. It's a very faithful adaptation of the novel. And he plans to direct uh, the movie, uh, I don't know when, sometime. <laughs> I don't think this year. It's February already. I don't see any signs of them wanting to film this year. But he um, he plans to do it, and he, when, when Clooney gets behind something, it normally gets done. Uh, other than that, there are various contracts for other books over the years. Um, Suley would be a very – we've had some interest about Suley, the basketball novel, but it, it, to me it just looks very hard to do because I don't know how you – the problem with most sports movies to me is the action does not look authentic. It's very hard to, to capture a pro football game or a pro baseball and make it look real. 
And basketball, I think, would be, be this story would be very difficult to do because some of the things that Suley did in the novel were, thank God for fiction, it'd be very hard to to uh, replicate on a real court with real athletes. So uh, there's not been much uh, interest in Suley uh, since the book came out uh, two uh, two years ago. So um, we'll see. Um, Calico Joe, Bleachers is the other football book. Uh, oh, playing playing for pizza. Yeah, I forgot. Playing for pizza is um, mm-hmm. is under contract with some I think TV producer. Don't know what's happening there. So it may happen one of these days. But again, I don't. I'm beyond frustration. I'm beyond thinking about it. I'm, I'm worried about the. I'm thinking about the next book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I meant to ask you. Uh, I know Sully. Uh, you did some research with the North Carolina Central program uh, for that book, and when they came up here. Uh, back in early November, were, were you at the game? Did you get to see the coach? I got there early uh, to meet Coach Lavelle Moten, uh, who's been there for a long time. He played there. Good guy. And, yeah. Great guy. Fun guy. Um, when I wrote the book, I talked to Coach Moten on the phone, and I wanted to meet him and walk through his gym and see his facilities and all that. And uh, he said, we can't, you can't come on campus because it was a total COVID lockdown at central. And so that was kind of the end of that conversation. I was able to uh, kind of sneak back on campus and hooked up with an assistant sports information director uh, who opened the doors, walked me around and I got to at least see, you know, their facilities and, and um, the court and all the things. And the the fun stuff was the, uh, the things they've been able to purchase and install because of their, uh, NCAA tournament money, you know, those teams get money. The more you win, the more you get. And they had mm-hmm. done well in a couple of tournaments and uh, got some nice checks and all that money was well spent. So, uh, yeah, but I didn't, I never met him. They've been very nice since then to invite me back to campus for, you know, uh, whatever, just to say hi and thank you and all that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, they were, I think they were, they were very, they were kind of wary. Like a lot of people are when I show up, um, and say, hey, I'm going to write a book about your, you know, your law firm or your or your courtroom <laughs> or your whatever or your case. Uh, people tend to get pretty nervous, uh, <laughs> and so they were they were a little bit skittish at first, uh, but I, with good reason. But uh, I always I always tell people, uh, you know, look, I I'm not gonna. This is fiction, okay? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. It's right. going to be a good story, or I wouldn't be here. I, I don't. I'm not a attack guy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do a hatchet job on your school. So, but they were, they turned out to be very, very nice. And I, I owe them a trip down. They invited me several times to come down for, uh, you know, a very nice thank you. And I need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you probably were at that game. I, I, I was occupied and didn't get to see the pregame stuff. So, uh, I figured you probably connected. Um, any predictions for, uh, End of the season. <laughs> we were we were in New Orleans last year for the Final Four, uh, and uh, went down with a bunch of Tar Heels and uh, just had a great time. The, the 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 semifinal win against Duke was just something that I you know was great. Uh, I'm not a Duke fan, and um, so it, that was a lot of fun. But I kept I kept telling myself a month ago nobody thought we would be here. Nobody gave Carolina a chance. So the predictions go out the window. Um, I do the final four 
I actually put my final four brackets on the wall. I have to because Jim Miller does his annual bracket breakfast to, to benefit Casa. He does it every year on Monday right. after Selection Sunday. And he always asked me to come take part with, you know, other people in town, Ralph Sampson or Jim Ryan at UVA or whoever he get on the stage. And so he gives you a uh, one of the big regionals, and you have to you have to make that prediction. Then you have to make your final four prediction, and they put that on the wall. And so for about five years in a row now, my final four predictions have gone on the wall as a record. Okay, I don't have a single team in the final four yet, so my <laughs> predictions are not very good. <laughs> it's awfully hard. <laughs> I tell you, it's very awfully hard. hard. <laughs> uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I would, I would go down that line too. Um, I'm just worried if, if from Virginia's standpoint, I, I, I don't watch a lot of other basketball other than ACC basketball, but that big, that big Purdue kid scares me. Um, I know there's no dominant team this year, but, uh, that guy seems like he's the real deal. Every time I look at stats for him, he's, he's putting up big numbers. He could be a, he could be a, he could be a, a subject of a novel down the line. Yeah, he's, he's very impressive. Um, you know, Houston came here and and we we kept it close, uh, but I thought they were real good. Uh, they're very well coached. I really like their coach, and the players were did uh, just you know athletes really good. They they, they always make a run. They're, they're going to make a run. Uh, Baylor right now is red hot. Texas is hot. Um, Alabama is very good. Uh, the best in the SEC. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you start making predictions for March. That's that's one of the fun things about March is everything goes out the window after the first weekend. Yeah. What I've started doing with my with my buddies is forget the first two rounds. Let's start with the Sweet Sixteen. That's when it's kind of fun. You've had some, a bunch of upsets. Uh, most of your good teams are still in the tournament, so let's start with the Sweet Sixteen and 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 make some bets. And I still lose every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. I, that's why I don't bet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are these are small bets. Uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by by gambling because I I'm not a gambler, uh, but I love picking the the college football spreads every week. Uh, to just look at it, we know these teams so well. You can pick the Virginia games, the, the SEC games, the, the ACC and SEC schools. I know, you know, I'm so good at picking those. And I do it against myself with no real money on the line because in the course of a season, if you break even, you're lucky. If you get 50%, you're lucky. And that's, that's football. That's a, that's a sport. You know, I, I think I really know Uh I don't know about college basketball. Like last night, UVA was 17 point favorites at Louisville. And I told, I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, I wouldn't put 17 points on any, ACC team on the road. I just wouldn't do it, you know, and that turned out to be the right bet, but I didn't put any money down. I don't, I don't have that gambling gene, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's me too. Uh, your latest book, the the boys from Biloxi. Came out, came out last October. I was yes. uh, working on it uh, a year ago, really hard. Yeah. Um, you want to tell anybody about that in case they haven't, uh, they might want to rush out and buy a copy. Well, Jerry, the book, the book came out in October, and I assume by now everybody's read it, so I don't have to worry and talk about it. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, that's the that's the last assumption I make. Um, it's a it's, it's sort of a different book for me because it's a it's a generational uh, sort of a saga. These two families that uh, it's it's all based on historical 
uh, background is fairly accurate, but the, the Biloxi area is a uh, sort of famous area on the Gulf Coast because it, it was a, the greatest seafood producer a production area in, in the country 100 years ago. And the industry was built by really hardworking immigrants from Eastern Europe. For some reason, they congregated. And I, I met a bunch of these people later on in college and in life uh, from Croatia and Poland and places like that, and a lot of Italians. And they built this uh, seafood industry. And because they were from Eastern Europe, they frowned on um, <laughs> dry counties. They, they frowned on uh, no alcohol. And, and so Biloxi had this, this reputation 100 years ago of area that was pretty wide open for vice and they had uh they had a lot of vice and it, it had this certain strip down there where you could get anything and even when the state was completely dry you could get you could gamble and you could you could buy anything you wanted and Biloxi became sort of famous for that along along with the seafood industry so I thought it would be it was it's a very rich locale setting for a novel and I've always been tempted to go there and so finally last year I did it and uh, it's a story of two families, two boys who grew up on, in Bluxy. They're little league all-stars together. They're great friends. And, and one kind of goes one way and one goes the other. And you know that at some point they're going to, their paths are going to cross at the very end. And so that's all I can tell you for more, for more, go buy the book. It's been out now since October. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hopefully we just sold you some more books. then. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for taking some of your, time out of your schedule for today and talking some hoops and college sports with us. We appreciate you. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll have uh, another trip to the final four this year. I hope so. I hope the who's make it. We had so much fun four years ago in Minneapolis. That was just a dream uh, being there and being able to, uh, to walk around the downtown area. Uh, and and walk, we walked to the games and back. Uh, it was close enough to do that. And just a great, um, atmosphere finally being there with Tony and his team and then two unforgettable games that we could have easily lost. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was our, that was destiny. We were supposed to win in 2019 with those guys and we did, and you know, it could happen again. Yeah, it very well could. It very well could. We've seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. We'll have a great rest of your week and uh, we'll see you down the road. We'll see you over. See you, Jerry. See you, Jerry. See you, Chris. Take care, guys. Take care. Take care. Thank you.